day that you've given to us. We thank you for the mothers. Lord, we acknowledge your word says to honor our father and mother. We honor the mothers today. We thank you, Lord, because through them you have given us life. Father, some of us may have had wonderful, loving mothers that were just wonderful to us, but others may have had mothers that were not so. They maybe had done the best they could, and for some of us, may may not even know who our mother was. But Father, we honor them anyway, even though there may be hurts, there may be challenges, because life came to us through them. And so we honor them today, Father, and we thank you for that. And now, Lord, we turn to you and to your word, and we ask you, Father, today to take of the pages of this living word that you've given to us and to speak to our hearts, Lord, that you may deposit in our hearts by your spirit things that go beyond the mind that our minds can't even begin to understand, but that you do a supernatural work in our lives today, in our hearts today. Your word tells us that there are things that you have prepared for us that our eyes have not seen yet, that our ears have not heard, that it has not even entered our hearts, all that you've prepared for those who love you. But your spirit's been given to us to reveal them to us. And today he searches your words as even the depths of your heart to bring those secrets up and to deposit them into our hearts. And we trust him to do that this morning. And we thank you in advance for all that it's going to mean in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. We want to welcome, as always, for this first service, the listeners that are listening live on WSTL. And we're glad that you've come to join us this morning. This is Mother's Day. And I I looked at... um, Several options for a Mother's Day message, and um, uh, our son, who's on staff, gave me some suggestions because he's always looking for creative ideas, and there were some of those that really touched me, and I, was, I just couldn't get connected with them, and then I began to realize in prayer, what could be more fitting than to continue what we've already begun? And this may sound, we're going to talk about a father's love today, which sounds strange on a Mother's Day, but turn with me to Genesis chapter 1, and I'm going to show you why it's not. Some of you, this may be something you've heard before. For some of this, may, it may rock your theological world, but sometimes our theological world needs to be rocked with the truth. We've got to expand our vision of who God is. Religion puts gods in boxes, and they're boxes that man has made. Jesus called them the traditions of men. And the problem is the traditions of men make the Word of God no effect in our lives. In 1 Corinthians in chapter 10, it talks about the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds. One of the strongholds that pull down are imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. The word imagination means teachings and understanding and systems of thinking, philosophies in religious concepts and ideas that exalt themselves against knowing God. God wants us to know Him. And it's knowing Him that changes us. It's knowing him that changes us, and there are things that block that. Okay, did you give you time to find Genesis chapter 1? It shouldn't be too hard. <clears throat> if you're having trouble, ask someone to your left or right. We're going to look at verse 26. God's creating here. It says, and then God said, let us, us, look at that plural, let us make man in our image. The us is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. If you read through the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, man is the only creation that he made in his likeness. He didn't make the horses in his likeness. He didn't make animals. He didn't make monkeys in his likeness. He didn't make plants in his likeness. Man is the only creation he made that he made in his likeness, and it's the only one he did not make by speaking. 
Everything else he said, let there be. And he created with his words. Man he formed out of, with his own hand, his body out of the dust of this earth. And then he breathed into his lungs God's own breath of life. God took his life and breathed it into the man. But he said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over every living thing that creeps. This is an old joke, but man has, we have dominion over creeps, so that's okay. Okay, now let's go over, let's go over to chapter 2. We're going to look at two verses, verse 18 and chapter 2. And God says, looking at all this creation in his man, it's not good for man to be alone. It's not good for man to be alone. Notice what's not said here. Man did not go to God and say, I'm lonely. Man does not go to God and say, I'm lonely. God did not look at man and say, oh, I feel sorry for this poor... He's lonely. Oh, my goodness. I believe he was happy. I believe he was content because he didn't have to get along with anybody. Men are generally content when they don't have to get along with everybody. And God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable or suitable to him. And then we're going to go down to verse 21. And here's how he did it. You know the story. He said, well, I'll read it. As they f- and the Lord God caused the deep sleep to fall upon Adam, Adam. And he slept and he took one of his ribs. This actually means his side. And closed up the flesh in his place. And then the rib which God, the Lord God had taken from him, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, whoa. <laughs> well, that's a loose translation. He said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman or woman because she was taken out of man. Okay, pastor, what's all this about? Back in chapter 1, God said, let us make man in our image. Well, I understand all that. No, you don't. Because, and here's, the, here's what may rock your theological world. God is both male and female. Huh? God, see, this is where we do, we have our, our traditions, we have our own way of our own life and experience with people and we transfer that knowledge of people over to God. And in, in, in Numbers 23, 19, it says you can't do that. It says God is not a man that he could lie, nor the son of man that he could repent or change his mind. In other words, everything you know about man, you've got to forget when it comes to knowing God because God's not one of them. So we think of Father... We think of God as a masculine personality. If that's true, where did women come from? If God is male, with all those male qualities, and He is, but He's more than that, if God is just male, then where did the female qualities come from? Where did they come from? Since God created it all, and God created this man, where, where did the, well, the woman came out of the man. 
So all of the what we consider female qualities, which we celebrate today on Mother's Day, which is why I really felt this was an appropriate thing to talk about, all those female qualities, and Pastor Kirk talked about some of them, there's so much more. It's caring, nurturing, long-suffering. He shared about, you know, mothers don't begin to do their job until everybody else comes home. I mean, their job continues. A mother's job is never done. I mean, it's in the middle of the night. It's whenever there's a need is. That's why I was thinking, mothers, eat that candy before you get home. And one of your kids tries to get all, it's yours. Because what will a mother do? This is a little example. She'll take that bag home and one of the kids, oh, that looks good. So she'll take hers and give it to the child. She'll sacrifice herself for the child. Mothers are tender, they're nurturing, and, and, in, you know, and obviously we have exceptions because of how some of us were raised, and some men are more nurturing than, than women, and, but as a general rule, that's a nurturing, tenderness, sensitivities are qualities we tend to attribute to women, whereas masculine qualities tend to be, I won't say insensitive, less sensitive, uh, focused, uh, Goal-oriented, I mean, a man goes to a store, he goes to conquer. Find that thing, get it, kill it, bring it home. I don't get distracted to the left or right. Women, it's an experience. And they may not come home with what they went for, but they had a great time. So, they, they, they don't, so but, but women... The tendency, the qualities of women, and one of the strongest ones is a mother's love is steadfast. I mean, everybody else would give up on you, but mother's not. This is why sometimes when you're 25 years old and mom says, I love you and I believe in you, you say, yeah, I know, but you have to. No, you shouldn't have to, but it's part of her nature because she carried you for nine months. I think that's part of God's design. Carry you for nine months and you know, so, so you know, you have a connection with that child before they're born. And the father forms one, but it can't be quite the same because he didn't carry you around for nine months. And that last month was, oh, amen, ladies? All right. So I, I, I think it's appropriate because some of God's most important qualities we would consider female. And I was thinking as I was meditating on this yesterday, you know, there's a, there's a, a gender-neutral Bible out there which had no concept of God. It's like, oh, we're so afraid that we're going to think of God as male. They, no, they never read the Bible. Because God made, again, where does female come from? Well, it came out of the man. So he looks at her and says, this is bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. This is part of me now. So what God took is this one man that was made in God's image, all male qualities and female qualities, and he separated the female qualities out into a separate being and now said, get along. <laughs> Which is why it's not good for man to be alone because the only way we grow is by having to learn to love and cooperate and adjust to somebody that doesn't see things the same way we do, think the same way we do, feel things the same way we do, experience things the same way we do, and yet we're joined to them. And that's why the next verse, which we didn't read, says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to and be joined to his wife. You take two separate beings, and now in marriage God makes them into one flesh together, one being together, and says, have at it. <laughs> learn to love each other. 
So it's appropriate, I believe, to go into this study, or even on Mother's Day, because we're looking at qualities that are mother's qualities. But we need to know they're in God the Father. Because God the Father is both male and female. Some of you will get that next week. Some of you, it may sink in later on. Some of you may have heard this already because I've taught this before. All right, having said that, to kind of adjust into, 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 into learning again about the love of God. What we began to talk about last week, and we didn't even get into the introduction last week. This is the introduction we're about to start today, hopefully. Is what we began to look at is, and I'll show you a verse in, the minute, in a moment, that, that it's, not the knowledge, it's, not the, it's not the head knowledge that God loves me, because that's obviously the title of this, this message is God loves you. And we started last week on John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in the Bible, for God so loved the world, and we looked about the word so. It's not the fact that God loves the world, it's how much God loves us. So I believe almost everybody in here believes God loves us. The question is, do you really know how much God, and we'll talk about that in a minute. And because it changes you. And we're going to look at four or five aspects of our life right now to find out whether we really, really, really believe God loves us or not. Because the beginning of any change God has to bring in our life is to find out where we really are. And there's no condemnation in this because God already knows where we are. We need to see where we are because all of us have to grow in this revelation because it changes us. The things that the Bible tells us to do should come out of us naturally. And the reason we struggle with them is because we don't really have the right foundation in our lives. And that's really the title of yesterday last week's message and this week's message is the foundation of all. So let's go to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4, the other end of the Bible. And this is written by the Apostle John. And when I talked last week, my, my introduction to the introduction, which we got lost in. Well, not lost in. We just got, we settled down in it. Where we compared two of the apostles, the two most famous apostles, Peter and John. We saw that Peter... Peter's relationship with Jesus was based on his own confidence of how much he loved Jesus. That's why Peter was always stepping out, literally out of the boat, stepping into situations which he couldn't handle. Peter was always the first to step out. He was the boldest because he was confident in his commitment to Christ, and yet he's the one that denied him. John, we saw, refers to himself as the one whom Jesus loves. John's identity was not based on how much he loved Jesus, it was based on how much Jesus loved him. And one of the things I never saw before until last week is that I believe that's why John was comfortable at the Last Supper up next to Jesus with his head on his chest. Why? Because when your confidence is in how much you love him, you're always aware of how much you're falling short. So you're not comfortable getting intimate with him because you're, so, you're looking at yourself. John wasn't looking at himself, he was looking at who Jesus is and Jesus' love for him, which is why he felt comfortable being up close to him. So if you're having trouble getting close to him, if you're having trouble in your prayer life, if you're having trouble sensing his presence and intimacy, most likely somewhere down underneath, it's because you don't really know how much he loves you and you're looking at your commitment or your love for him and you're aware, as I've shared with you last week, how we're aware how much we fall short. So here's a little test in here. 1 John chapter 4 Verse 16. Oh, I've got to ask you a question. All right. How many of you know that God loves you? Okay. Right. It's easy. You just read it up there. That's why. It's a good, you just passed the test. All right. How many know God loves you? All right. How many of you believe God loves you? 
All right, let's read this verse. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God, and God in him. Apparently, there's a difference between knowing God loves you and believing God loves you. Because John says two things here. We have known and believed the love that God has for us. And I believe that many Christians, including myself to a large degree, is caught somewhere between believing God loves me and knowing God loves me. You can believe something that you don't fully know. The word know there implies experience. And we talked last week about in John chapter 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that if you take the word so out of there, it says God loved the world. That's stating a fact. But when you put the word so in there, you're not talking about a fact, you're talking about something about God, how much God loves. How much God loves. And what I've begun to see is the foundation of our walk with Christ, the foundation of our worship, the foundation of our prayer life, the foundation of our faith, the foundation of everything we do with God and for God and experience with Him, the foundation of it is a revelation of how much God loves you personally. And what we're going to go through is we're going to go through some areas and I'm trusting because we have communion today so we may not get through all of these but that's okay. I'm not in a rush to get through this. Because this is a foundation which we're going back to check. Years ago, we had a house in Oklahoma we were, had on the market to sell. And when a buyer came along, he had been on the market a long time. And uh, he came along, and he was a builder. And he called us and said, you know, he signed the contract. He said, I can't buy the house because the foundation's cracked. It's fundamental. If the foundation's cracked, you've got a serious problem. And God was gracious. He sent somebody along and said, I don't care. I'm going to, it's my house. God gave it to me. I'm going to fix it and took care of it for us. But the point is, if the foundation is cracked, then it weakens the building. And I suggest that in most of our lives, there's cracks and weaknesses and holes in the foundation of our walk with Him. And it's not because we're bad or not because we're doing things wrong, because it hasn't really hit us yet what He intends to be the foundation of our life which is how much God knows, loves us. So we can believe it, because the Bible says so. We can believe it, because it says so on the screen. We can believe it, because we've been Christian long enough, but do you know it? Do you really know it? When I ask you to raise our hands, we can do it, because we, 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 we believe it. But do we really know by experience, by revelation? See, knowing is something you do with your mind. I mean, believing is something to do with your mind. But, you can, but to know it in your heart takes the Spirit of God to open that window and show it to you. We'll learn how, that, how to help Him do that. All right. So, we've talked about... So, the foundation for everything that God wants to do for you and through you is in this foundation. And again, we've talked about areas that we struggle. We're going to begin to look at them. Okay. Let's go to... Um, uh, First John chapter 4, we're there. Wonderful. Verse 7. I told you the principle last week, 
out of Matthew chapter 5, verse 8. Jesus is commissioning his disciples to go. He's telling them to go and preach the gospel, which is what we've been talking about last year. We'll talk more about that again. He says, you go and preach the gospel, you, you, to, to, lay hand, to, 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 to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cast out demons. And then he says, freely you have received, freely give. We talked about the fact last week, you can't give something you haven't received. And I wanted to give Ron a $500 bill. I really meant it. I didn't have one. So I can't give him something I haven't received. And not just that, it's how you receive determines how you give. So Jesus said, freely you've received, freely give. So we're talking about in John chapter 12, John chapter 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, we're going to see a little later on, we're commanded to love one another. In fact, it's the only thing we're commanded to do by Jesus, because it covers everything else. We're commanded, not not asked to, not expected to, we're commanded. That's, That's hard. We are commanded to do this. A command is something you have only two choices about. You obey it or you disobey it. We're commanded to love one another. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands like this, but just be honest with yourself. How many of you you struggle with that? You know you're not loving the way you're supposed to love. Because then Jesus really nailed it. He says, this is what I mean by love, the same way I've loved you. And he gave his life for them. How many of you freely, freely lay your life down for other people? Let's start with your spouse. How many of you husbands just freely lay your... I mean, whatever she needs, she's first in your life above your needs. See, this is what a mother... The mother eats last usually. The kids eat, they'll get her candy from church. They'll eat first because she'll sacrifice herself for them. That's a father's love. God's love. God's love is that. He proved it. We'll get into that too. Okay, 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another. Why? For love is of God. I I like little words because little words are the kind you skip over, but they're so powerful. Love is of God. That means love, and this is a special word for love, agape, which is love the way God lives. It's a sacrificial love. It It doesn't need to be loved back. It just loves because it's the nature of the one loving it. And that nature of the one loving it finds something worth loving even when you can't see, even when it's not there because they see that they believe the best. And that's what that's that kind of love. Let us love one another with that kind of love. For love is of God. That's saying love, this kind of love comes out of God. It originates in God. It comes out of God. And everyone who loves with this kind of love is born of God and knows God. You cannot love with this kind of love unless you're born of God. Because in order to, be, because in order to give this kind of love away, you have to have received it. And because this is God's love, God's nature, you have to have God's nature in you in order to begin to give out of that nature. And you don't have God's nature into you, in you until you've received Christ because Christ is the one that qualifies you to be God's child. Because Christ takes your sin and pays for them so that he can give you his righteousness as the son of God 
And only with his righteousness can you now qualify to become God's child. And when you become God's child, you become born again. That word again means both from above and a second time. You have a second birth. The first birth was the birth of your body. This second birth is a rebirth of the real you, the nature on the inside of you. And when you come to Christ and receive him as the one that paid for your sin, the Spirit of God does in you what he did in Mary when he came to her. He conceives in you the seed of the Son of God in you and you become a child of God, not as some symbolic thing. You literally become God's child because His nature is now birthed in you. It's funny because two of our children go to, go to church. That's not funny, but the fact that some of them will meet them, somebody in church will meet them and say, you know what, that they, you know, your son looks just like his, just like his mother. That's not shocking. She's his mother. You know, I'm finding the older I get, the more I look like my father at this age. And although I don't like that, not because I didn't like my father, it's just... <laughs> I'm not shocked by it. I don't know. How did that happen? Why? Because it's perfectly natural... For my part of me that was born from my parents to resemble them. Not just in looks, but sometimes in speech. Sometimes in, you know, attitudes. Why? Because I was born out of them. Well, the real you on the inside was, if, when you come to Christ, is born out of Him. Which is why Peter says, we've been given the divine nature. And we could just spend a whole teaching on this. So the first thing, put the scripture back up. The first thing is, in order to love, for everyone who loves, number one, is born of God. And number two, knows God. Look at verse 8. He who does not love, does not know God. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, he who does not love is not born of God and does not know God. Two verses right next to each other conveying the idea John wants to get across to us. He, he who's, who's born of God, he who he loves with this kind of love, two things. He's born of God, that's how it got in him, and he knows God, that's how he gives it out. So he knows who he is on the inside because he knows that love on the inside because he knows God's love for him or her. But now he says, he who does not love does not know God. He doesn't say he's not born of God. So apparently, in order to give this love out, you have to not only be born of God, but you have to know him. You've got to know God's nature, and his nature is love. Because we just read that, and we will read it again. Verse 9, in this... oh. He who does not know love does not know God. Why? Go back to verse 8. Sorry about that. For God is love. I want to dwell on that a second because it's easy to miss. Because we may know the verse, but in our mind we translate it. We water it down. He does not say that God loves more than anybody. He does not say one of God's qualities is love. It's very important to get. 
Because we think that. We may know the verse, but we think that. Because if it's one of God's qualities or something he does, he can run out of it. My mother could be very patient, but there were times she ran out of patience, and we all ran (laughs) when she ran out of patience. God cannot run out of love. God cannot stop loving you. I want that to sink in. God cannot stop loving you. Because God does not love you because of anything about you. God does not love you because you're lovable. You may be, but that's not why he loves you. Because the problem is he loves me because I'm lovable. What if tomorrow I'm not quite so lovable? And we know we're doing this because on some days we feel closer to him than others. And those are most likely on the days when you feel more lovable. Or you were lovable yesterday, so you're, you're getting the carryover to today. I mean, yesterday you prayed the time you should pray. You gave them, you know, you did everything you're supposed to do. So today I can just feel comfortable coming into God's presence because yesterday I was a good doobie. That's all wrong. It's all unscriptural. And we're going to learn down the road. We're so still, we're still indoctrinated with the law. We may know that the law, that, the, that, the, that we're not under the law, but we still think under the law. Because the law earned everything from God, including His wrath. He who does not love does not know God. Why, why do I know He doesn't know God? Because God is love. He's not full of love. It's not one of His qualities. It is, his, it is who He is. Love originates from God. So for God to stop loving anybody, he stops being who he is. And the Bible says in several places, I am the Lord, God, I change not. So God doesn't change. That means his love for you never changes. I was joking earlier. I saw that funny round thing in the sky this morning I hadn't seen in a while. The sun. But never during this last week did I worry that it wasn't there. Never did I say, oh gosh, I haven't seen it in several days. I wonder what's going to happen. Because we were still getting the benefit of it even though I couldn't see it. His love for you is shining on you 24 hours a day, 7 days a week for not only your entire life, but before you were ever born. Psalm 139 says, He watched over you, being formed in your mother's womb. He watched over you. That answers abortion right there. He watched those first cells formed. And He could already see who you are now. Now He looks at you and He sees who He wants you to be, who He can make you to be. His love for you. That's why Jesus says... In Matthew, I think, 6, verse 8, he says, when you pray, don't be anxious about how you pray. Don't you know your Father knows what you need before you, before you ask Him? Why? Because He's watching over you. Peter says, he's, he says, you know, he says, we're, we're, we're not to fear. We're not to be afraid of anything. 
He says, we're not to worry about anything. He says, casting all your care upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Literally in the Greek it says, because it matters to him concerning you. He can't stop it. He is love. All right, we got to move on. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifest. So now, it's not just an emotion he has. Here's the proof of his love. Here's the evidence of his love. In this, this love of God was manifested towards us that he sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. He didn't just say, boy, I love you guys. I just, oh man, oh, you're a real mess down there, but I love you. I'm rooting for you. You're not going to make it, but I'm rooting for you. No, his love had to do something. It He was compelled to do something out of his love for you. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, because of the verses 1 through 3 tells us how dead we were, how lost we were because of our own selves. But verse 4 says, but God, oh, we can preach that, because of, the Amplified says, because of, and in order to satisfy the great and intense love with which he loved you. What motivated God to send his son to the cross was his love for you. He demonstrated his love. The evidence of his love is all around us, but the greatest evidence of this love is he valued you. Listen carefully, and I'll show you some scripture. He valued you more than Jesus. I'm going to show you some verses when we get in. This isn't the teaching. This is the introduction. I'm going to show you some verses that says, God loves you as much, if not more, than Jesus. That takes a while to sink into our religious heads. Because we know ourselves. Because we're thinking, well, how could God love me that much? Because Jesus was perfect, and I'm not. Because he doesn't love you because of you. He loves you because of him. His nature. He can't help it. He can't help it. It's his nature. It's who he is. Verse 10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to also love one another. We just give away what we've already gotten. Verse 19. We love him because he first loved us. Our love for him is a response to his love for us. And if you have trouble loving him, it's most likely because you haven't yet really seen his love for you. We've got to go on to the next one. Okay, Galatians chapter 5. So loving others, loving God, comes from ultimately knowing his love for you. Galatians chapter 5. Another area where people struggle. Faith. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, because that was, that's, I can't get into that, but faith working through love, faith working through love. So faith in order to be operative and effective has to work through love. Now, that involves loving other people. So you really can't operate in faith if you're in strife with everybody. 
But what he's really talking about here is in order to operate in faith towards God, it's based on the relationship. And here's where so many people struggle in faith. They think faith is something we're supposed to do. So we read books, we read tapes and CDs, and we find out, oh, here's what you do. Here's what brother so-and-so did. You know, they got the Word, they confessed the Word, you know, they, 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 you know, they, they meditated on the Scripture, they, they did all these things. And you know we're doing that when you're in, you think you're in faith and it's not working, you say, I don't know why this didn't work. I did everything I was supposed to do. That's the law. That's earning something from God. And the Bible is real clear in the book of Romans and in Galatians is you can't earn anything from Him. Because if you earn something from Him, then you get some of the credit. And God just wants you to know how much He loves you. He wants to know that out of His grace, He just wants to bless you because it's what He's like. In fact, in, in Ephesians, i got to be careful. There's so many sidetracks we can take here. In Ephesians, He talks about one of the reasons God's done this is He wants to demonstrate in the ages to come what His grace will do. And you and I are trophies of it. He's going to show us to all the angelic beings and say, See, look what my love and grace did. So you and I are not trophies of how faithful we are. We're trophies of His grace. So as messed up as you have been and maybe still are, He's going to show you before the angels and say, See, see what my love and my grace did. Look what my grace can do. God doesn't have to show His power in the heavenlies. They all know that. It's His grace, what His grace will do. And we're His trophy to prove that. We're His trophies to prove that. So faith works by love. What does that mean? Well, let's go to Mark chapter 11, one of the most famous faith scriptures, at least where we went to school. By the way, Brother Hagin didn't write these verses. Jesus spoke them. The background here is, is the disciples came out of, this was in the last week, uh, uh, in the, uh, before he goes to the cross, and they come, they're, they're staying in, the, in, in Bethany, and then they're staying some time in the garden, and they're passing to go into the, into the city of Jerusalem, the temple, and they pass a fig tree one morning, and Jesus said, you know, is there figs on it? There are no figs. He said, well, may, may no man eat fruit of you anymore, and they go into the city, they come back out at night, and next morning they're coming back by again. So it's only 24 hours. I'm in Matthew, that's why it doesn't look right. And Jesus says in verse 20, have faith. And the morning as they passed by, they saw the fig tree dried up from its roots. Next verse. And Peter, remembering it, said unto him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree which you cursed has withered away. Next verse. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. That's his opening statement. And this is what many people miss when they go into these verses. Literally, in the, he, in the Greek, it says, have faith of God. Believe in Him, in who He is, His character, His nature. Have faith in God. And now He's going to teach them an example. And this is a teaching example. Jesus, I, I don't know whether he did it on purpose for this reason or not, I don't know. He's walked by the fig tree, he cursed it, and he didn't really yell at it or scream at it, he just said, may no man eat, eat, eat fruit of you anymore. And the next day they're walking by, and Jesus did, he's not marveling at it. He's walking on by, and Peter says, Peter marvels and says, it's withered, it's withered from the roots up. 
Now you can kill a tree one day, but you're not going to be able to tell the next day. This tree was shriveled up and probably over on the ground. And Jesus didn't say, whoa, it worked. He walks right on by it. Peter goes, whoa, uh, wait a minute. Master, the tree you cursed, it's dried up from the roots. And Jesus says, ah, oh, we've got a teaching opportunity now. He says, have faith in God. And now he's going to talk to them about exercising that. Verse 23. For assuredly I say to you, assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, a mountain represents any obstacle in your life. Whoever says to this mountain, notice whoever says to this mountain, he doesn't say whoever says to God, move the mountain. He says whoever says to the mountain. Some people don't like that about speaking to things. We speak to things all the time. There's red, red things and working with this rubber washing machine. We speak to things all the time and wonder why they don't work. Whoever says to this mountain, who, oh, by the way, see the last word at the end of that first line there? Whoever. Notice he didn't say you 12 disciples because when you're gone, this principle ends. Wh who, whoever. Whoever, whoever, Wh whoever says, oh, there's the key, whoever says, not whoever just sits in a chair and thinks about it, but it's for whoever, Wh whoever, not until the age of the, of, the, of the apostles are ended, whoever says to this mountain, how many whoever's do we have here? You're all whoever's, it's up to you, whoever means it's up to you. Not up to God, it's up to you. Whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, that's the key, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Well, what if it's not God's will? Then don't ask for it. Why would you want something that's not God's will? God puts that on you, not on him. When we end the prayer, I don't know, if it's thy will, we put all the responsibility in God and God puts it back on us. Verse 24. Therefore, because of this principle, I say unto you, whatsoever things you ask, when you pray, believe that you receive them. That is in the tense, believe that you have received it. And you will or shall have it. So when do I believe, when I pray for something or when I speak to something, when do I believe I have it? When I prayed, do I see it yet? No. And he says, if you believe in your heart, when you pray that you've already received it, even though you don't see it, you have my assurance you'll have it. Our role is to believe we receive it. His responsibility is to make sure we have it. And this is where many Christians miss it. They think we're supposed to believe and then we're supposed to make it happen. And they turn it into works and efforts and wonder why it's not working. So this tells me something. How? Well, wait a minute, Pastor. You're telling me, and this is an amazing thing, to speak to a mountain. By the way, I've heard of a church. I don't know this church personally. I've heard of a church that did this because they were trying to, they had a building project. And there was a, there was a mountain on it. It was a big, it was a big hill in their way. And they didn't have the money to, 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 to do something with it. So they just stood in the scripture. And it wasn't long after that, some excavator came and bought the land, bought the topsoil, and took it off for them. 
Now, whether it went in the sea or not, I don't know. Now, how can, how can you, how can you, how, how can you, how can you believe, how can you say I've received something when I don't have it in my hands? That's, is that lying? Well, if God tells us to do, by the way, God does that. Romans chapter 4 tells us God calls things that be not as though they were. That's how we got into existence. That's how everything got into existence. God didn't say, oh, you know, I see a universe out there. I think I'll agree with it. No, he spoke it and it came into existence. How can we do that? How, how, can, you, how can God expect me to, to really believe and tell people, I've received this when I don't actually have it in my hands yet? Glad you asked the question because if you hadn't asked the question, I wouldn't know to do this. But let's go back to 1 John. This time we're going to go to verse 15. This is so important. One of my favorite verses. Whoops, I'm in James. That's a nice one too. But verse, Chapter 5, verse 14. Now remember what Jesus said in Mark. Have faith in God. Have faith in what about God? God's character, God's nature. Have faith in God. See, when, when we get into church, we leave our regular head out there in our cubby, and we pick up our religious head and stick it on, screw it on, and come in here and sit down so we can all think with a religious thinking. We go back out there, we take our church head off, put it in our cubby and pick up our real head and put it back on and go out and operate in principles all, all week long that, that we, don't have, we don't understand in church. You work for somebody and, and or you, you know, they give you a job offer. You've been out of work for a while and you come to them and, and they offer you a job. You know, suppose you've been out of work a long time and, and they offer you a job uh, uh, and they say, you know, you know I'm going to you, pay you this amount, and, you know, you leave out there flying, wow! You call your wife, guess what? I've got this job. I'm going to be making this. You're already starting to plan what you're going to do with it. You don't have a dime. But you're excited. You're making plans. You're telling people based on this man's word. One of the biggest acts of faith is a drive through window. You drive through McDonald's, the first sweet lady says, what would you like? Well, actually, before you can get there, what would you like, sir? I want this, 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 and this. What kids, what do you want? You give them the order. You go to the first window. They smile, and they tell you how much it is, and they put their hand out for the money. But you don't see the Big, you know, the Big Mac, the chocolate shake. You just gave them the money, and you drive confidently down. You just handed your $22.95 to this teenage girl. You don't even know who she is, but you trust her because she's got a McDonald's outfit on, and you know if she doesn't do it, Ronald McDonald will get after her. But you trust her enough to give her your hard-earned money and go to that window, and you're expecting, you believe when you paid it, you're going to receive it when you get down there because you trusted her. You trust that guy, you don't even know. I'll turn around the other way. You go to a doctor's office, and he says, I'm, I've got some bad news for you. This is what the results have come back with. And you've got this condition, and you've got this long to live, or whatever. And you walk out of there in absolute shock. And now your mind's not going to the eating the Big Mac. It's, I'm going to die. I get all this stuff happens, you know. And all you have 
is a word of a doctor, and we respect doctors. I'm not, I'm not disparaging that. But we have that word, and yet there's a word here we have from God that tells us something else. Yes. And we've got far more confidence because all of our orientation is around natural thinking and natural principles. And we got a wonderful doc sitting right out here, and we got others here, and I have confidence in them and wonderful. But they'll tell you they can only do so much because they're dealing with natural things. But we have the Word of God that created the universe, calls things into existence that never existed. And God, this Word has something to say about it. We have more confidence in the Word of natural science than we do in the Word of God. The wonderful thing is to have doctors that can do, take the Word of God and apply it and add God's power to the natural science. We'll talk more about that down the road. So in the natural, we deal with this. And now, did you find verse John 5? Okay, this is what John says about it. This is the confidence that we have in Him. Remember Jesus said, have faith of God, have faith in God? The reason you can speak to something, the reason you can believe something before you see it, why could we believe something before we see it? Because of who we are asking for it. Because Jesus started by saying, have faith in God. In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Not ask and you might receive, Ask and you'll receive. One time I felt God tell me so clearly, He says, why would I tell you to ask me if I haven't already decided to give it to you? Unless I'm teasing you. And He goes on to explain that's not what He's doing. Have faith in God. What's the confidence that I can have in God? Why can I have faith in God? This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Anything... Then it's in a, well, how do I know if it's in accordance with His will? Here it is. If it's within the range of His will, He hears you. That's what He says about Himself. Now verse 15. Look at this. This is what we... And we know. This is talking about a man that knew God's love for him. We know that if He hears us in whatever we ask, that we have... So when we ask, God doesn't say, you know what, I'll consider that. I'm going to go pray about that. <laughs> I don't know. Let me see whether you've been good or not. Let me see. I don't know, you know. I don't know whether. He, he says, if God hears your prayer from His side, you have it. That's got to sink into you. This is telling us something about God, not about us about his character, his nature, his love. We'll look down the road at this verse. Romans 8.32 says, If he spared not his own son, he's talking about how much God's for us. If he spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, so you're not an exception, how will he not also together with him freely give us all things he has? If he hears you, and if you ask anything according to His will, He hears you. So all you got to do is find a scripture, a promise, and that's clearly His will. You know He hears you. And now you know because we know something more about Him. You have already the request you've made known of Him from God's side. And this is the issue. This is what I was going to talk to you about. We think prayer is talking God into doing something for us. We think asking, we have got to ask, if i got sickness in my body, I need to ask God to heal me. No. He's already done it. Oh, 
<gasps> he has? I'll, I'll go further. God's already done everything for you he's ever going to do. Say, oh, I'm in trouble then. No, you haven't seen what he's done for you. The problem's not on what God's going to do. He's done it. And I know time to get into it. We just studied a blood covenant years ago. In the blood covenant, God gave himself and everything he has to you when you entered it with him. Actually, before you were born, it was when he cut the covenant on the cross with Jesus. He gave it all to you. It's all on the table. He's not holding anything back from you. Well, okay, pastor. Uh, how, how come I, I, I don't have it? It's like the sun coming up. The sun's there. Its rays are shining and emanating from 93 million miles away. Is that what it is? I mean, it's coming down, and when the clouds get out of the way, you can feel it. But right now, there are clouds in the way. And there are clouds in our life. Unbelief, fear, all kinds of clouds that keep us from seeing and experiencing it, but it doesn't mean it's not shining on us. And what it, how do you get around it? You've got to renew your mind to God's nature and character. Because we think in this law term, which if, 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 I'm not, if it's not working, somewhere I'm doing something wrong. Somewhere I'm doing something wrong. I'm going through this because I deserve to go through this. Well, what happened to grace? Let me ask you this. Are you going to heaven? Do you deserve to go to heaven? Why, why, why do you deserve to go to heaven? No, you don't. You're going because of God's grace. Well, everything else we have from Him is by His grace. But we're so indoctrinated with earning everything we get we think that's what happens with God because we don't know His character. God is love. Yes. This whole idea of salvation was His idea. We didn't talk Him into it. We didn't come to Him and say, you know what, you've got a great doctrine. If you'll just give in, if we'll just, will you buy into this, God? Please buy into this because we're in trouble. No, we didn't want, we all ran from Him. I did. He had to track me down, work on me until I finally gave in to His love. This is a whole reorientation of our thinking. But it comes down, it begins and ends with God is love. That means everything God does, everything God says comes out of love. Every word in here comes out of love. And we have time to get into it in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, because he's a father and because he loves us, he'll correct us. So even his correction is out of love. But he never condemns, he corrects. He never punishes, he disciplines. Punishing is getting back at somebody. Discipline is correcting them to bring them to the right behavior because we love them. Everything God does is out of love. He cannot do something that's not out of love because it's his nature. And the struggle we have is we don't yet really know that's what he, who He is. And so we have trouble loving one another. We have trouble believing Him because it really comes down to this. If I know how much God loves me, it's easy to believe Him. If I know how much God loves me, it's easy to believe Him. If I know how much God loves me, it's easy to believe Him. If I know how much God loves me, 
it's easy to trust him for anything. And the reason we struggle is because the one we're asking for things, we don't quite know where we stand with him. We don't know where we stand with him because we really don't know him yet. We believe he loves us, but do we really know? Because when you really know how much he loves you, faith is easy.